Hi, and welcome to Fossilfern Christian Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message, and it will both challenge and inspire you. So let's start. Let's open our word, or turn it on, or whatever you do with your word. Uh, let, let's get to Luke 10, 25 to 37. And um, this morning I am reading from the Passion Translation. Because having, read, uh, having carefully read from my usual New King James and the Passion, I, I think this helps me with the words it used better than the King James, okay? So here we go. So it's, it's the same story, and it's very similar anyway, just a few different words. So here we go. Luke 10, 25 to 37, Passion Translation. Just then, a religious scholar stood before Jesus in order to test his doctrines. He posed this question. Teacher, what requirement must I fulfill if I want to live forever in heaven? That's the question. Question that's going to get the answer. Here's the answer. Jesus replied, what does Moses teach us? What do you read in the law? The religious scholar answered, it states, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart all your passion, all your energy, and your every thought. You must, you, and you must love your neighbour as well as you love yourself. Jesus said, that is correct. Now go and do exactly that and you will live. Wanting to justify himself, he questioned Jesus further, saying, What do you mean by my neighbour? Jesus replied, Listen, and I will tell you. There there was once a Jewish man... Now, that word Jewish isn't in the other translation, but even though it's not mentioned, by implication, it very strongly implies that this is a Jewish guy, okay? In Jesus' story, just in case. I know people would like to argue with... Wait, wait, say that in my Bible. It, It implies it very clearly. The whole story. So, okay. Okay. Jesus replies, listen, I will tell you a story. There was once a Jewish man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho when bandits robbed him along the way. They beat him severely, stripped him naked, and left him half dead. So many analogies. When I was preparing this, I was thinking, oh man, we could mention this and we could... That describes this group of people and this is... And I'm like, let's just stick to the basics, even at the risk of stating the blindingly obvious and and let's just try and hone in on this together, okay? So here we go. They beat him severely, stripped him naked and left him half dead. If you want to put a bit of analogy, there's a lot of that in our society today, but anyway, I'm not going there. Okay. Soon, a Jewish priest walking down the same road, came upon the wounded man. Seeing him from a distance, the priest crossed to the other side of the road and walked right past him, not turning to help him one bit. Later, a religious man, a Levite, came walking down the same road and likewise crossed to the other side to pass by the wounded man without stopping to help him. Finally, another man, a Samaritan, came upon the bleeding man and was moved with tender compassion for him. 
He stooped down and gave him first aid. He poured olive oil on his wounds, disinfecting them with wine and bandaging them to stop the bleeding. Lifting him up, he placed him on his own donkey and brought him to an inn. Then he took him from the donkey, carried him into a room for the night. The next morning he took his own money from his wallet and gave it to the innkeeper with these words. Take care of him until I come back from my journey. If it costs me more than this, I will repay you when I return. Incredibly significant. Okay. I'm trying not to get distracted. We're keeping to the story. But the words itself. Anyway, don't, don't, stop it. Um, so now tell me, which of these three men who saw the wounded man proved to be the true neighbor? The religious scholar responded, the one who demonstrated kindness and mercy. Jesus said, you must go and do the same as he. Okay. So I'm going to repeat some stuff, right? And it's going to be this. It's going to be a reminder that the parable of the Good Samaritan is directly related to loving God. So obvious. When you read the whole thing, so of course he's talking about the guy about loving God. The story of the Good Samaritan is all about loving God. You're going to get sick of hearing that in a minute. Luke 10, 27, 28, again from the Passion, the religious scholar answered, it states you must love the Lord God with all your heart, all your passion, all your energy, and your every thought, and you must love your neighbor as, your, as you love yourself. Jesus said, that is it. That is correct. Now go and do exactly that and you will live. Notice, it's about loving God. This is a story about how we're loving God. This is not a story about believing in God. He says loving God, he doesn't say believing in God. And, and there's a significant, huge significant difference. Listen to what James has to say about this in James 2, 19 and 20, again from the Passion. You can believe all you want that there is one true God. That's wonderful. But even the demons know this and tremble with fear before him. Yet you're, they're unchanged and they remain demons. O feeble sons of Adam, do you need further evidence that faith divorced from good works is phony? Remember, this is about, this parable of the Good Samaritan is about loving God. I know, I realize, I'm speaking to a room of people who have been in church a long time. I'm speaking to a room of mature Christians. So when, when I start here, I don't want to get the impression that I'm going to dump an unbearable load on a new believer or a young Christian. Because it's a process. That This is the, if you like, the ultimate, this side of heaven. This side of heaven, this is the ultimate illustration that Jesus gives. He's, he's saying, 
This is what loving God looks like. And, and, and it's basically impossible in the flesh, in our own strength, right? I know that. But I'm, and, I'm, and I would not even begin to attempt to lay this down on a, a, a new... I shouldn't say immature Christian because there's some Christians who've been Christians a long time but they're still immature. I'm to, somebody who's new, someone who's young, someone who hasn't grown yet. I would never lay this down because it's a process. So I, I need to stress again, this is the illustration Jesus gives of what loving God actually looks like. So, remember, the parable of the New Samaritan is directly related to loving God. Many say they believe. And you know them, you know them, the people you know, you talk to them regularly and they've been in church a long time and they can put up a good argument but you also know that you don't see much fruit of that. You only have to press the rice button and outspews all the flesh, the carnal nature, the fear, the suspicion, the jealousy, the anger, the selfishness, it's there. Would you agree with me? And, and don't say any names but you know these people. And it might even be us. Which later we get really convicted about and repent and hope that the Holy Spirit transforms us and learn to grow and deal with this properly. Um, so the question is fruit. What's the fruit? What's the evidence? James uses the illustration here. James uses the illustration of the demons. He said even the demons believe. But here's the difference. When they think about God, they tremble. Implying that some Christians hear about God and it doesn't concern them any. Just, yeah, so what? But the demons, they tremble. They know, they believe. He, it, the the uh, Passion Translation adds that little bit there where it says, you know what? Faith in itself changes nothing. That's what he said. They believe and they understand the situation so they tremble. That's how much they believe. They believe so much that it causes them to tremble when they think about him. But they're still demons. They're not, they're not you know, uh, transformed into angelic beings again because they believe. And, and the Passion Translation is putting that on believers. A lot of people say they believe, but there's no transformation. There's no fruit. And, and again, I'm not talking about salvation by works. I'm saying that James is saying <coughs> those who really get this and love God, there's evidence, there's, there's fruit. We good? So obvious? But you stayed at home. No, you couldn't. Because you know the benefits of being together. And worshiping God together. Anyway, uh, we'll keep going. So, um, remember the parable of the Good Samaritan is directly related to us loving God. So, let's look a little bit closer at that love. 
that Jesus has illustrated for us here. While it's not specifically mentioned in major translations, as I said before, the, I think my New King James Version just says a certain man. But the context is it was a Jewish man, right? And, that, and that's important um, because the victim being a Jewish man, uh, unless instead of breaking the two religious guys up as the, the priest and the Levite, let's, let's just call them religious officials, okay? So the religious officials, instead of dealing separately, we'll, for time's sake, we'll just deal with them as one. So he, here's, here's the thing. The point is a Jewish victim would naturally expect help and works of mercy from Jewish officials. Right? That, that's the point. He, you would just assume, you just expect that these are my Jewish leaders, uh, people of, who influenced me religiously. They, I would expect that they see me in such a state, they would have mercy, compassion and want to help. Wouldn't you agree with me? That's, that is, that's the main point. That these, of anybody who would walk down that road, these two are the ones you'd expect to help. And they didn't. Um, it's been suggested that religious officials either were concerned with uh, the danger for themselves or the cost that they might have to pay for helping. A uh, couple of illustrations. Um, part of the law was if you're involved in any of the religious ceremonies, especially in the temple, you had to be clean, ceremonially clean. But if you actually um, were to touch an injured or dying man or say he had died and you touched him, you would be ceremoniously unclean and you'd have to go through the process of cleansing, which would take at least a week, probably more. So these guys, to walk on this road, uh, there's obviously something going on. And whether they're going because they're on the roster and they're serving that morning, that day, they're involved in some kind of part of the ceremony, the religious symbolism of it, if, if they were to be defiled, become unclean, they had to withdraw from that. And that's a reasonable argument. I remember what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 5. And from this is from my New King James Version. When you pray, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Uh, meaning that... Um, They've accomplished what they set out to, they've got someone's attention and they look good in front of people. And he said, that, that's what they're looking for, that's what they've got. Nothing else. Their prayers are ineffective, but they've accomplished what their heart set out for. They're looking religious and they're looking important and they're looking good to everybody who's watching. And he said, they've, they've accomplished it, they've achieved it. But the point was, Jesus said... Um, that's what these religious guys are looking for. And we're not to be like that. And so that's the, if, if that's what Jesus says about them and they're on their way to be part involved or serve in some kind of religious ceremony, 
they don't want to risk not being seen because they've defiled themselves or made themselves unclean by touching a wounded or dying man. Is this making sense? Have you heard that argument before? Some suggest that they probably were aware that the robbers could still be around and they're just somewhere off the side waiting for someone to come over and get them as well. But, but I like the religious argument better. Uh, and that's why they didn't get involved. So that was their priority. And, and I was thinking, I was going, okay, what's going on in there? These, these guys said they've seen him a way off and they've, and they've thought about it before they got too close. They weighed up the price and they decided, no, let's go to the other side. Right? So it's not, it's not an impulse. It's not something, oh, look at that. No, no. They've seen him for a while and they've thought about it and weighed it up and thought, I'm not, I'm not prepared to pay this cost. Could die anyway. What's it got to do with me? But he, here's the thought. Here's the thought, and I've heard this a lot. What can I do anyway? What have I got? I can't do that. I, I haven't got the resources to do that. I haven't got the skills to... That's not me. That's not what I do. So you get somebody who does that stuff. Get someone who's that gifting their calling, their training. That's what they're all about. They turns them on. Let's, let's get somebody else to do that. That's not, nothing to do with me. And I hate that phrase. You know why I hate that phrase? Because I have them thoughts all the time. When there's a challenge there, when there's something that might cost me there, that one of the first thoughts that comes along is, well, that's not my gig. That's not my gifting. That's not my anointing. It's like when, I first got, when we first got into ministry. We only got into ministry because Jesus is coming back soon and we've got to preach the gospel to everybody who will listen to me. And then all this other stuff came in and all the legal stuff and the insurance and the blue cards and the work cover and uh, everything else. That's a, you know, that's why I've got some good administrators around me. But the deal is, I hate that because that's my immediate reaction sometimes. Unless it's the area where, preach? Oh yeah, I'll preach for you. Oh, mate, I can teach that. And I'm not doing it out of a proud thing, but I'm doing it genuinely because... That's what I do, and I've got some experience, and I know I can do that well, so I can do that. It's not a boasting thing or a proud thing, an arrogant thing. It's just, oh, yeah, I can do that. But sometimes there's some challenges, like emergency accommodation. Why in the flip would you phone Fassifern Christian Church? Phone the Salvation Army. Are we being recorded? I mean it in a nice way. Because that's what they do. That's what, they, they, that's what they've done for centuries. They've got skills. They've got resources. They've got training. They've got... Found the Uniting Church. They're bigger than us. They've got a, a huge network. We're just a little church here in Calabar. I, I'm not like, you know... I, yeah, I feel sorry. I'll, I'll pray for you. I'll lay hands on the domestic violence people, and, uh, and I don't want to sound hard, but the immediate flesh response is, I, that's not me, I can't do that, I ain't got the training, I ain't got the resources. 
And now, of course, my wife's just done a domestic violence course and she's done all this other stuff and I'm going, oh, flip. I want to build a church on the block. That's, my, that's not my last thought, by the way. That's my first thought. That's the flesh. That's why I hate that kind of sentiment, that thought. That because, because the truth is, um, it's contradictory to faith. It's, it opposes everything that speaks of faith. When I say, uh, when I say, uh, that's not me. I couldn't do that. I haven't got the skills. I haven't got the resources. That says right away, or it, it reveals right away how much I actually believe in my God and His promises to me that I'll be with you. I'll, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And, and you are more than conquerors. You are well able because I have called you. I have anointed you. You pray and I will answer. I'll make it happen for you. It, it, it contradicts all of that when I say that, doesn't it? I hope I'm speaking to some of those people like me whose first response is very negative. I'm sure it's a well-kept secret, but there might be a couple in our church who think like that. Not just me. That's our first thought, isn't it? But then we go, but God said. My, my thought down there was, as I was reasoning my, myself, why did they, who, what government department would send a woman with five kids, a, 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 a victim of domestic violence, to Boona? Like we've got all the resources here and there's lots of rentals available. But then I go, but wait a minute. Uh, God said, will you look after the widows for me? Will you look after the orphans for me? Will you feed my lambs? Aren't I the God that makes a way where there is no way? Didn't he part the Red Sea? Didn't he do miracles of provision and... So remember, let's not forget, remember the parable of the Good Samaritan. What's that about? It's Jesus illustrating what loving God looks like for people who are serious about it. Are you fed up with hearing that yet? Because, I, you know, we separate those two. We separate that whole... We, we got, yeah, that's Jesus saying, and, and then the other Gospels, it is on its own, where the guy says, you've got to love God with all your heart and all your soul and all that. But here, it's directly related, and he says, the guy says, okay, he's my neighbor, and, and then, because he wants to know about loving God. And then Jesus says, well, it's like this Samaritan guy. The parable of the good Samaritan is directly related to the way we love God. It, it's an il Jesus, here's an illustration of what loving God looks like. Then that other verse starts to make sense. Well, you know, some people really get in trouble because when I was naked, you didn't clothe me. When I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was in jail, you didn't visit me. When I was sick, you didn't come and heal me. You didn't comfort me. 
all of a sudden it's done and makes sense. Why? Because what we do to the least of these, we do to him. It's, it's an illustration of our love with God. But religion, not, not just religion, constitute, no, not constitutionally, um, our organization starts to shape and mold the way we act instead of our love of God. Um, anyway, Luke 10, 27, 28. The religious scholar answered, It states you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your passion, with all your energy, with every thought, and you must love your neighbor as you love yourself. Jesus, you're getting it. Do we merely believe in God? Because if I ask that question apart from this subject today, we go, yeah, I believe in God. Now we go, wait a minute, there's a trick here. Because he just read a verse about the demons believe. And they believe so much it causes them to tremble. Doesn't bring transformation, they're not restored back to angelic beings, but all of a sudden they're worried about that. But we believers, in our arrogance and our carnal fleshly nature, yeah, yeah, I believe in God, but don't give it a second thought. Do we believe in God? Are we falling in love with him? Are you falling in love with him? You, this is the power of testimonies. We need to remind ourselves who we were, where we were, what, what would have happened except God came along and, and he changed. And, and you guys know, some of you in here know, you would be literally dead except God came along at the right time. It might have been... A, a, it might have been the result of a really dumb decision. It might have been a result of a habit, a lifestyle. It, it, it might have been, you know, lack of concentration. But you know, if life would have continued the way it was going, you wouldn't be here right now. You know also that if life would have continued, you wouldn't be married now. You probably wouldn't have the children you now have, the, the grandchildren, cause, but God came along. God came along. And, and then you look at that and you... You start to understand, not because I deserved it or earned it, but purely only because he loves me. And, and then that's why they said, the Bible says, <coughs> God first loved you. And because first God loved you, now you can love him. And so as, as, we, as we begin to see that and understand the incredible enormity of the grace of God, we, men can't comprehend. We can't comprehend the grace of God. So we, we say, talk about God, but then we add some rules and regulations. We, we, talk, we talk about grace, and then we say, okay, here's the grace of God, now keep the Ten Commandments. But grace goes way beyond that. And surely, as you grow in understanding and glow grow closer to God and start to recognize and acknowledge what he's done and what he's doing and how he's still doing it right now 
and knowing that there is something better he's preparing us for. And I'm not talking about the other side of death. I'm talking about, you know, in this life, surely we'd be falling in love with him more and more. And, and we're not just doing stuff out of obligation, but we're starting to do stuff because we love him. And so when he asks us to do it, we don't spend like half an hour arguing why we can't. But we say, Lord, if this is what you want, I trust you that you're going to help me and you're going to bring the things I need and the resources and whatever to do it because this is your... I think far too long we settle for things that we can do and call it faith and vision. But the truth is, when God gives you a vision, it's way beyond what, what we could accomplish in our own strength. So we do stuff not because we're obligated, but because, but because we love him. We're not perfect, but that makes us love, us, love him more. True? So do we merely believe? I say do we believe in another context, that would be the punchline. But now I put that little word, do we merely believe? Or are we falling in love? Are we moving in obligation or are we moving in love? Now the Samaritan, here's, here's the thing. Bear with me, only a little bit more. The Samaritan in that day, and you know this, um, was the last person you would expect to help a Jewish man, right? The first person you would expect would be the religious guys. The last person you would expect would be a Samaritan. Um, never mind not just helping, but the acts of mercy how he went beyond for this guy. Because the Samaritans and the Jews, they were once related, you know. They were from the same family. And I ain't got time to go into history or the verses, but the deal is they were once from the same family, but now they're estranged and they hate each other. They, they worship the same God. They, they come from the same family. And, and, but here, here's the deal. Um, Samaritans, the Jews think Samaritans, they've betrayed um, they are half-castes. They are unpure. They, are, they betrayed us. They let us down. And, and, and you know what? They may worship the wrong God, but they don't know how to worship him. They don't do it right. They don't do it in the right... Is this starting to sound familiar? They don't do it the right way. They don't do it in the right place. There was this incredible conflict... Um, I don't want to go in there because it's pretty obvious. Uh, but here's, here's, here's an extra point. This guy goes beyond because he actually becomes a guarantor for this guy. Does anybody realize what the Proverbs say about becoming a guarantor for somebody? I'll tell you what it says. Don't. It's even in part of the law and it's... In, 23 times in the Old Testament, most of them in Proverbs, the book of wisdom, says don't become a surety for anyone, don't become a guarantor for anyone. This guy goes into debt for him. He said, here's the money and if it goes over, I'll pay you what he owes you when I come back. He goes in, see the Jews, especially the religious Jews, they would never enter into that. I, I remember as a new Christian uh, an older man, a man I respected and I still do, um, 
he was talking to me and there was talking about a situation and and there was will you go get not me but somebody was asking him somebody who was close to him was asking him would because he was a businessman would you go guarantor for me and it, and it, it wasn't just somebody just met it was a, someone that he'd known a while and had a deep relationship and he immediately said no I will not go guarantor. The Bible says, don't go guarantor for anyone. Is this another case where we hear Jesus saying, God loves people more than he loves the rules? The guy that Jesus is using as an illustration and how to love God says, this guy went into debt for a Jew, a stranger. Not only did he hand out his own cash and say, here's this much money, that's for last night and, and whatever it needs. But if, you, if it goes bigger than that, and I'll be back on the way back and I'll pay it in full. Contradictory to the Old Testament. Oh my goodness, I'm starting to sound like Shane Willard. Can you see that? And yet Jesus says, because it's a made-up story, it's not a true story, but it's a... But Jesus, he puts in the story to emphasize the illustration of love that this Sumerian went into debt for a dying man. Oh my goodness. How dare he say that illustration? How can he say that's an illustration of love? And you saying to me, because that's exactly what he did. Jesus loved the Father so much, he paid the debt for strangers. Got your communion? Let's take the lid off. Carefully, that first film. Did you get one of those that you can't separate the film from the foil? <laughs> the wafer. <laughs> the wafer representing the body of Christ that was broken for us to pay our debt because he loved the Father. Let's take, remind ourselves. I've got a special one. The foil's come off, but there's a film underneath the foil. I am special. Oh, no, I'm going to spill it. He allowed every drop of his blood to be poured out for, for, the, give, for the forgiveness of our sins because he loved the Father so much and he knew how much the Father loved us. Let's drink it and thank him, shall we? So in Luke 10.35, we read that. The next morning he took his own money from his wallet and gave it to the innkeeper with these words, take care of him until I come back from my journey. If it costs more than this, I will repay you when I return. Not only did he pay all the debt, but he went into debt anything else that arose 
I'm telling you, the parable of the Good Samaritan is an illustration that Jesus gives us to show how much it's related to the love of God or loving God. It gives us the story so we can see what loving God means for people who are maturing in Christ. That's the best way of putting it, I think. He gives us this illustration of what love looks like for those who are maturing in God. Jesus did it all because he loves the Father so much and he knew the Father loves us so much. And Jesus himself loved us. Can Have I got enough of the team to do a song? God bless you girls and Peter. Thank you. Maybe you can give me that middle one. The challenge, of course, is for us personally looking at our lives and asking if we measure up. I don't want to bring condemnation, guilt, shame or judgment on anybody. It's a personal challenge. Do we, you know, and we're still here in this world, in this flesh, and it's only natural that our first response will be physical, natural, fleshly, carnal. But do we suppress that long enough to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit? So the first, the first challenge is for us personally, and I know I'm talking to a room of people who are maturing in God, I know that, and that's why I'm saying it. Are we loving God? Like Jesus said. The second challenge is this. May we never, ever, ever respond to any situation solely based on our personal resources or what we're frightened of ourselves. May we always stop just before we do and remember. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the simplicity of this wonderful story and, and by trying to keep it simple, we've become aware of the depths of the different aspects of this story, how profound this story, layers upon layers upon layers of truth and even the obvious is startling and challenging and yet at the same time directional for us. Forgive us when we've yielded to our first response and negated our responsibility and actually revealed our lack of love. But now help us to go on from that place Aware, wiser, discerning, e even if it's just pausing and waiting on you. By your spirit, Lord.
seal this truth and cause it to grow forgive us from the times we've looked at these people and judged them because of lifestyle and obvious habits or consequences of really bad decisions instead of looking at through your heart at their real needs. I pray a rich blessing now on each of us. I pray through the work of your Holy Spirit that will bring growth, transformation. Some might need healing right now. Some might need delivering right now. All of us need a change of mind. So renew our thinking. Bring transformation, I pray. Help us to be a people that are led by your Spirit and not by situations or circumstances. Come on, let's stand and worship him, shall we? Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you were blessed with today's message. You can connect with us at firstfamchristianchurch.com.